If you have your Bibles, you can look to Isaiah 9, but this morning I want to preach on His Name is Wonderful, starting a new series going through this month, and I want to be preaching today on the thought of His, uh, his Name is Wonderful, a wonderful prophecy. At the foot of the uh, Italian Alps, there is a little chapel which has an unusual arrangement of statues. On the inside of the little chapel building, there are statues of the Old Testament prophets, all of them pointing toward the central statue at the altar, which is of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's certain that the person who put this together understood Acts chapter 10 and verse 43, which states that to him give all prophets witness. All of the Old Testament prophets, in one way or another, pointed towards the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, yet none more pointedly or more specific than Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Names in, in Scripture often relate to some aspect of one's birth. Isaac, his name means laughing, and of course in Genesis we find that uh, Sarah laughed when she heard that she would have a son. Jacob, his name means deceiver. Moses means drawn out. And of course we know from Exodus that he was drawn out of the river. Jabez means sorry. And yet for Christ in Isaiah, the Bible says his name shall be called wonderful. The word wonderful in the Hebrew comes from the word pele. In the old uh, Jacinius lexicon, it states that the word means wonderful which we understand it as, but it also means admirable or, of, or a miracle of God. Life itself is a miracle of God, as Matthew and Paige Dugan proved this week with their new baby. Life is a miracle, yet Jesus Christ, his birth, although birth in itself is a miracle, his was not even ordinary for a birth. His birth was exceptional. His birth was not ordinary. He was wonderful in that he was a miracle of God. And, and we want to look over the next several weeks at some aspects that made Christ's birth unique in and of itself. We find, first off, that Christ, his birth was not ordinary. It was miraculous because of the promise or the prophecies that came of a Redeemer. There was a prophecy of a Redeemer in the Old Testament that Jesus Christ would come to redeem his people, to redeem mankind back unto himself. The story of this begins all the way back in Genesis in the very beginning when we find that Adam and Eve were made in perfect fellowship with God. They were at one with him, walked in the garden with him, and there was no enmity or division between God and man. Yet we come through just a couple of chapters and we find that sin has entered the picture. And sin is the great divider that divides man from a holy and righteous God. And so sin separated mankind from God. There were, men were cast out of the Garden of Eden. They were no longer able to walk with God. They were no longer able to fellowship and commune with Him. And men were separated from God. 
And yet the prophecy is that Jesus Christ would come, that there would be a redeemer that would redeem mankind back to God so that that fellowship could be restored. In Genesis chapter 3, we find man was separated. And from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through the book of Revelations, what the Bible truly is, is a story of redemption. How man, who could be restored to God, redeemed to God, and be brought back to fellowship that was broken in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, the Bible says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise uh, his heel. We find here in scripture that there was a prophecy of a redeemer. We find that God's coming to the serpent said, listen, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. My wife uses that for scriptural proof that it's okay to be afraid of snakes. And so we find that there was a enmity between woman and the serpent. But watch here, the Bible says, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And what they're showing is here is that on the heel there is a, a blow, but it is not fatal. But the Bible says he shall bruise your head. And here we have a picture of what would happen in Jerusalem some 4,000 years later that would happen when Jesus Christ was crucified and there he was crucified and buried in the grave. And no doubt for a few days, Satan thought that he had won. But on that third day, Jesus Christ resurrected and he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And for once and all, Jesus Christ bruised the head of Satan so that he no longer has power, but his power is but temporary. And we know from Revelations that one day that lying serpent will be cast into outer darkness into the lake of fire that burns for all eternity. Here we have a picture or a prophecy that a redeemer would come who would one day do away with sin. We see there are two things that are here in this prophecy that will be fulfilled. First off, that Jesus Christ will be our redeemer, that he will redeem us from the power of sin. I'm glad that one day that when Jesus Christ died upon the cross and when I gave my life to him, I was redeemed from the power of sin over my life. Now that is not to say that I cannot sin or that I cannot go contrary to the things of God, but rather that sin no longer has power over me, but Jesus Christ. For we know that when we're saved, the Holy Spirit comes and he dwells within our hearts. And therefore we have victory over sin. We are not held under the power of sin. If you're saved here this morning, you can probably testify with me that before Jesus Christ, uh, there was a, an uncontrollable power of sin over your life. There wasn't mine. There was a power of sin over my life, and although I desired to do right, sin had control of my heart. Yet when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, that did not mean that I never sinned again. I, we, sin is part of our nature, and it will be until... Uh, and a part of our body until this is done away with and our flesh is done away we're given our glorified body yet we know that sin no longer has the, the Bible says dominion over us for Jesus Christ works in our heart he lives within us 
greater, the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So he has redeemed us from the power of sin. He's also redeemed us from the person of sin. The person of sin, the Bible here says that he shall bruise your head talking to the serpent. It is the person of sin, Satan. One day, he will be cast into outer darkness. Now, I don't know this morning, I know this, you say, preacher, I thought this was a Christmas uh, message, and it is, because the birth of Jesus Christ and his miraculous birth made a way that we might have a redeemer that the person of sin, the Satan himself, we know that can be defeated and to be cast out. I'll be honest with you, y'all, I don't like to drag football in, but last night Georgia won the SEC and I was excited about it. We cheered, the crowd went wild, and boy, it was a good time. If I remember, it wasn't too long ago, some UT fans got pretty excited when Bama got defeated and tore down a goalpost and chunked it in the river. There was some excitement going on over a victory, wasn't there? But I want to tell you, I don't think the world's ever seen some rejoicing that's going to transpire when Satan's finally cast into outer darkness. Talk about victory. That's something to get excited about. That's something to shout about. We have victory today, not in a sports team, but in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who has delivered us from the power of sin. And one day that person of sin, Satan himself, will be cast into outer darkness. That's something that all of us, it don't matter who you root for on the football team, in the house of God together, we can stand up and say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men, because he has delivered us from the power and the person of sin. There was a prophecy of a redeemer. But second of all, there is a prophecy of a sacrifice. This morning, I would love to go throughout the Old Testament and look at all the prophets and the prophecies they, that pointed towards the Lord Jesus Christ from, uh, from uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. There are so many great prophecies, but this morning, I'm just going to stick with Genesis for the most part and look at what is prophesied in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, the same chapter and verse number 21, the Bible says, And for also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Here we find, if you know this story in Scripture, that Adam and Eve knew that they were naked. They had took of the garden, fruit of the Garden of Eden, and therefore they, their sin was made manifest to them. And they saw God coming, and what did they do? They ran and took leaves and tried to sew them together to make raiment. And God, God came along. He said, Adam, Adam, where are you? What did Adam say? He said, Lord, we knew that you were coming and that we were naked. So we ran and hid ourselves. And God said, Adam, who told you you were naked? And Adam had attempted to make for himself a covering of his own nakedness with the leaves. And yet God said that is not sufficient. 
Therefore, what did God do? He went and he, and he took an animal and he slew the animal and shed the blood of that animal. And with it, he took the skin of that and made clothing and garments for Adam and Eve. You know, in the Bible, it says, later on, it says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. And here we see the prophecy of a sacrifice that must be given. There's a prophecy of a redeemer, but there's also a prophecy of a sacrifice. We knew from the very beginning that Jesus Christ, and although the Old Testament uh, Jew could not see it, as we read Scripture now, it is clear to understand that the prophecy of Jesus Christ was the prophecy of a sacrifice of one that would come and lay down his life. One that would give his all for you and I. One that through his own blood might cover our sins. The birth of Jesus is miraculous because it was prophesied from the very beginning, back from the near the Garden of Eden, we find that there was a prophecy that Jesus Christ would be a sacrifice for you and I. He was a substitute sacrifice. In that he died in our place. He died for you and I. He died so that we would not have to. He died a substitute for you and I. See, the truth is it does not matter whether you are rich or poor, whether you are young or old, if you are here today or, or anywhere, if you've ever lived and breathed in this life, sin has condemned and separated us from God, and we were in need of a sacrifice, one that could die in our place, one that could be a sacrifice that our sins might be covered and forgiven. And just like Adam and Eve, we stand unable to do it by ourselves, not of works of righteousness, but according to his mercies. He saved us. Christ did not just be a sacrifice because he wanted to. He was also a sacrifice because he was the only one capable and able to be our sacrifice. We could not do it ourselves. We could not lay it down our own lives. If I could have died for my own sins, then Jesus Christ need not die for you and I. But he died in our place as a substitute for our sins because we were without hope. We were without help. We had no means of ourselves to pay for our sins. And in due time, the Bible says, Christ died for the ungodly. He was a substitute sacrifice, but also he was a sufficient sacrifice. Just as Adam and Eve here in Genesis chapter 3, as the garments and clothing of skin that God made for them, as those garments were were adequate to cover their nakedness so Jesus Christ was adequate to cover our sins God gave his son as a sacrifice for you and I 
sadly enough, the sacrifice of one's child is not unique only to God. You can go back through history, through people groups around the world, and there are many people groups and peoples who have sacrificed their children. Heard of a missionary years ago who was on the mission field. And he was there, and to his horror one day, he was standing there looking over the edge of the river, and there was crocodiles all in the water. He said he watched as this mother walked up with a little baby, wondering what is she going to do. And she walked to the edge of the bank, and he was watching what is happening in this. He watched this mother threw her baby to the crocodiles. Come to find out she was trying to appease her God. Human sacrifice and child sacrifice has happened throughout history of humanity, and yet there has only been one child sacrifice who was ever sufficient. And that's Jesus Christ. God willingly gave his son to come and to be born of a virgin, to live and dwell among men, that he might lay down his life on Calvary because he was a sufficient sacrifice. His blood was pure. Without sin, he who knew no sin took on your sins and mine that he might live and die, that we might be forgiven. There was a prophecy of a redeemer. But here also we see there was a prophecy of a sacrifice. And Jesus Christ is and was and forever will be a sufficient sacrifice for you and I. He's enough. He's enough. And yet too many people without and within the church trust and depend upon our own righteousness, our own good deeds, thinking that by some merit we might earn the favors and grace of God. I want you to know today that there is nothing within you that is ever good enough to obtain the favor of God apart from Jesus Christ. He is altogether lovely. His name is wonderful because of who he is. He is our sacrifice. Thirdly, there is a prophecy with Christ that deals with our future. In Genesis chapter 49 and verse number 10, the Bible says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. I would love to, this morning, for sake of time, I will nod, but I would love to go through to Hebrew and uh, look at how Christ came from Judah, not the tribe of Levi. And you know that the priest was to come from the tribe of Levi, and yet Christ came from the tribe of Judah. And he is our high priest. 
He showed us that there is hope, not just for the religious sect, but for you and I, for all of us, there is hope through Jesus Christ until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. There is a prophecy of a future hope and that hope was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our everything. Jesus is our hope. Not just the hope of eternity, but he is my hope right now for the here and the present. Jesus is my hope. Is he your hope this morning? He's all that I can depend upon. He's all that I can trust in. He's the only one who has never failed, never let me down, never disappointed. Oh, I've disappointed him. I've let him down. I've failed him. I've fallen short of my duties as a son, as a disciple. I have fallen short so many times unashamedly this morning. I am unworthy of him. Yet for all my failures and shortcomings, never, not one time has he ever let me down, nor has he ever let you down. He is my hope. I can trust in him. My heart longs for him. Christ is our hope. I told you I'd mostly stay in Genesis this morning, but I want to look over to Numbers chapter 13, verse number 27. We find that it says, and they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. Here we find that the children of Israel had wandered. They had been in the wilderness for some time now. Finally, they come to the land of Canaan. And there was 12 men that went to spy. You know the story. Ten were, gave a bad report and two gave a good report. And they said, their report was this. This is the land where you sent us. A land that flows with milk and honey. This is its fruit. But in Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 6, the Bible says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, and so much he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. To the Israelite in the Old Testament, there was a promise of a promised land of Canaan, of a land that flows with milk and honey. But a land in whom were many giants, many enemies, much turmoil and work that must be done. But to you and I, he says, there is a better promise and a better covenant. Jesus Christ was a prophecy of our future, our future hope, but also of our future home. He said, and I, if I go, I will, I will prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus Christ is our hope of an eternal home.
The holidays are here, and for many, it is the most joyous time of the year. You look forward to it. My wife loves to decorate. The church is beautifully decorated, and we love to enjoy the lights and the decorations of the season. And yet to others, there is little joy to be had because of the loss, the hurting, the loneliness, the bad memories associated with it. What we celebrate, others might dread. Molly yesterday, the girl has a big heart. And she loves Christmas, I think, as much as anybody I've ever met. But she got mad at her sister yesterday, and they fought a little bit, and she started feeling bad over it. And she told Mama, she says, this is the worst Christmas ever. She said, I don't deserve any presents at all this year. <laughs> and what we celebrate is joyous. Others might grieve. Maybe you've never had a mother or a father. Maybe you've never experienced the joys of Christmas. Maybe for you, Christmas is associated with loneliness. Hopelessness. I want you to know that there is a home in Jesus Christ. He's our Father. There's never been a Father greater than Him or a mother who has loved more than Jesus Christ. He is our place of peace, our place of rest. He is our home. What you may not know in this life, what you may have never experienced here on earth, you can experience the greatest joy in Jesus Christ. For he's our future. But he's also our present hope and home. His name is wonderful because there's been prophecies from old saying, listen, there is coming a day where the Messiah will come. And I think I've shared this before, but a couple of years ago while traveling to Israel, I was on a plane with a Jewish man who says, and he said the, the Messiah will never come. It'll never happen. He had lost all his hope. But I want you to know the prophecies from old prophesied that he would come. And not that he will came, come, but he has already came. He was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And his name is wonderful. Do you know him today? Do you have peace? Have you experienced the joy that only Jesus Christ can bring? And if not, would you place your trust in him? Christian, you and I, if you were saved, through all of the festivities that go on around us, through all the family functions and dinners, social gatherings, have we become so focused on the temporal things of this earth that we have forgotten that he is the reason that we celebrate. It's because of Jesus.
For his name is wonderful. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer this morning. God, we ask that you might speak to our hearts. Lord, I'm so grateful, Lord, that God, you showed your mercy to me when I was lost in my sin. And yet, God, you still extend your mercy to me day after day. Lord, I don't know, maybe there's someone here today, God, who has never experienced, Lord, the love and the relationship that you offer. Lord, if there's someone here in that mode today, God, I pray that right now may be the moment that they forever give their heart and life to you. Lord, maybe there are those here today who know you as their Savior. And God, they are saved, they're born again. Yeah, Lord, they have forgotten just who you are. Lord, may you help us for a moment. Lord, may we pause. Lord, may we reflect upon you. God, give you the honor and the glory for which you so rightly deserve. In Christ's name we pray. Every head bowed, bowed every eye closed. If you would, stay with me for just a moment this morning. If you would, stand if you're able. No one looking around. I wonder, is there one here today who would say, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. If I died right now, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. Preacher, I'm not sure if I died that heaven is my home. I, I want to go to heaven, but I have never came to a place where I recognize that my sins have condemned me to hell, that I stand unclean before God. And today, I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you right now, would you pray? Right now, would you bow your head and pray? Tell the Lord, say, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I stand condemned because of my sin. Yet, God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he died for my sins. God, I give my life to you. Lord, would you wash away my sins? Make my life anew. This morning, if you've done that, I want you to know that if you have more questions, we'd love to pray with you. But do not leave here today until you know that you're saved you're a child of God. As he begins to sing in just a moment, as we begin to sing, if Christ has spoke to your heart, the altars are open. If you want to come pray, you can just